Well, we're back for Rebuilders today. We're starting a new series, The Opening Door to Renewal. What should we expect for today's episode, Mark? We're going to really dig into, I think, what is one of the foundational issues that we need to grapple with, which is the issue that I think is the pandemic has shown. Uh, but now we're looking at how do we live into this, which is the issue of non-discipleship, which is the issue that sits under cultural Christianity, you know, people walking away from church, deconstructionism, the rise of Christian nationalism, you know, all these things. How do we as the church find renewal through returning to people to a whole of life discipleship? Great. Looking forward to it. If you want a list of the resources that we refer to in the episode uh, and a little bit of a behind the scenes chat, you can subscribe to our mailing list by heading to rebuilders.co. Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy. I'm here with Mark and Daniel. And, you know, it's taken a while to get to this point. Mark has just finished wiping down his phone because he just spilt water on it. We have all recovered from multiple laughing fits. How are you both going? Good. Fantastic. That's a good, that's a good summation of the mm. last mm. 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm interested, Mark, you mentioned before about a kangaroo at Christmas time. What? Can oh, yes, yes. Tell, well, tell the audience. One of the... Um, you know, aborted starts that we just tried was um, going to welcome our overseas listeners because we've had a lot of people subscribe. Yes. Mm-hmm. So welcome. Welcome. And a lot of people, are, are, you know, join us and listenership is growing, which is always great and encouraging. So welcome if you're a first-time listener. Um, I was going to share. So we did try this many times and just end up laughing and interrupting ourselves. But <laughs> I was going to share that. One of the things that often when um, I'm overseas, people ask you the inevitable Australian question, oh, are there kangaroos that go down your street? And inev- inevitably you sort of, you know, roll your eyes and like, I live in the city. Uh, there are no kangaroos. you're Daniel and Liddy who grew up in the country. And well, you did grow was, up in the country. Mm, um, it kind no. of did happen. Yes. Yeah. I've got stories. Yes, I'm sure you guys. Well, I grew up in the city and live in the city and we live in the city now. But there was a moment over Christmas where I have to now eat my words because after years of rolling my eyes and saying, I live in the city, uh, I was at home over Christmas and my wife, uh, Trudy, was watering the garden, summer here in Australia, out the front. And she ran inside and said a kangaroo, like a massive, big, red sort of kangaroo, had just jumped down. Like, <laughs> like what do they do? Bound? Yeah, I'd say they yeah. bound. Bound down. Hop? Hop. Hopped down the centre of our street. Boom. With a police squad car in, in pursuit. Police Not in pursuit, <laughs> going slowly, because obviously they don't want it to jump onto well, a major I, I, road. Like, I want to know. Maybe it had just robbed the store. They're, they do that. They do. You they're, know? they're criminals. It's, it's um, yeah. <laughs> like, I've been to your house. It's not far from here. Where, like, where's a kangaroo coming from? And I don't where's know. it going to? The well, bush. Par- the bush. And where's back the, to the bush? bush. Like, yeah, you've got, there's a like little park kind of not far. Oh, it's there's a tiny a, park. Like, there's a creek that kind of runs yeah. through, like it's a water source. I think it, I think what's happening know. is development is is growing on the edges of the city. It's it's sending them in and they might like go into a park and mm. hide overnight and then bound to the next park. The developments are sending yeah. them in. Mm. The developments are sending them crazy. Kangaroos. It's a great migration. It's time mm. for you to go in. Yeah, just, the there's city. a great nocturnal migration of kangaroos. So I can't say that anymore. Yep, kangaroo <laughs> does run, did run down my street at least once with the cops in pursuit. But I, I think the cops in pursuit showed that it's not a normal event. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Australia, the things that happen. Hmm. 
Today, just to very smoothly segue us into the content that we're going to be looking at, we are... Uh, hop right in. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. No. That was beautiful. Yes, yes. Yeah. So what have we got in the pouch today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't. I can't match that. Um, we are actually going to start a, a short series. Mm. Uh, so for the next maybe three or four weeks where we're looking at, well, we've titled the, the series The Opening Door to Renewal and looking at how the, there's been a crisis um, of cultural Christianity, but there's also an opportunity in that, um, obviously instigated by the pandemic, but it mm. was present far before the pandemic. Mm. Uh, so we're going to be exploring that. So what's the kind of big idea that we're getting at, Mark? Yeah. Well, I think the big idea is one of the things, if you've been listening for a little while, is we're talking about what's the new sort of cultural reality that we find ourselves in. And one of the arguments that we've been making quite strongly is that we've moved from perhaps the previous sort of era where it felt like there was this inevitable rise of, say, secularism and progressivism and the church was going to be this sort of exiled community in the West to something different. We're entering into a new era. It's a much more decentralised, much more contested space mm. um, and power is draining away from all institutions and even the sort of idea of post-Christianity and secularism is starting to come under tremendous pressure itself. And so, you know, in the midst of this new reality and this acceleration that's happened during the pandemic, but it's not just about the pandemic, it's also about technological change, geopolitical change, uh, environmental change, all these changes that are going on, that actually this particular grey zone moment that we're living in presents a new opportunity for a renewal of discipleship. And the little line that I've been using and some of these ideas um, that we're going to speak today is actually informing my preaching at the moment mm. is that there's a sense at the moment that one thing that we've lost is predictability. So, yes. uh, you know, it, it's, it's harder to look forward and perhaps things are becoming a little bit clearer now with the pandemic um, as, you know, it's sort of Omicron appears to be, you know, particularly in highly vaccinated nations moving into a more mild form. But there's still what we've lost over the last two years is like the idea, like, so for example, the, the Olympics, which were always like penciled in at a certain date, you know, they were moved. It's hard to predict things mm. and plan ahead. Um, so in a sense, we feel at a corporate level, at a personal level, that it's like a fog in the foreground. It's hard to see. Um, but my argument is that, yes, there is a fog that has descended in the foreground on the things which we can plan and have control over. So it's a little bit more foggier now. But actually, I think the skies are clear. And one thing that has become clear, I think, is God's vision for us, which is renewal. Mm. But also, I think that the significant issue that, you know, I know that I've passionately spoken about before in the past, others have, but I don't know if it had full understanding in the breadth of the church was of a crisis of discipleship that is occurring. But I think now that has, after the pandemic, become absolutely clear. So it's that uh, that the pandemic has brought about that long submerged issue of non-discipleship. That's what yes. you've mentioned before. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think like particularly, you know, people have talked about it, but I think that the speed of it, you know, particularly the fact that, you know, after six weeks, some some countries just locked down for six weeks, people didn't come back. Um, you know, the the reality that people, I think pastors began to see of, you know, their congregations getting, you know, quickly wrapped up in all kinds of cultural you know, ideologies and yeah. myths and individualism and deconstruction and all these things. Um, I think people saw very quickly this thing that people had been talking about 
Um, it's a little bit like, I mean, one example is like, you know, people talked about a pandemic. There was articles about it. There was, there was mm. TED Talks. It's when the reality comes that you're like, okay, now we've got to actually act on this. And I think it's a similar thing that's happened with this great crisis of non-discipleship. Yeah, okay. So following Jesus is both about justification and sanctification. Can yes. you explore that? Yes. That's kind of the starting point of what yes. we're going to talk about today. So I think I think discipleship is the following of Jesus with all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jesus invited his followers to follow him. In the first century um, uh, context, um, it was sort of a known practice that rabbis would have people who wanted to learn from them and mm. they would follow those rabbis um, as their disciples and learn from them, imitating them in all different all different ways. Um, it wasn't just about the teaching that they gave. It was actually their sort of whole of life. So yes. by being around someone, you were formed in their ways and it was this decision to leave and be part of their discipleship community. And so Jesus uses that concept to talk about what is to follow him. And there's two elements to that. There is the element of justification, which you know is in that sense salvation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, humans are fallen and and sinful. And but when we uh, you know say yes to Jesus, we give our lives to Him. We then are made right with Jesus, and um, you know that's the moment of salvation. That's you know justification, justification made right with Jesus. There's a second process of of you know being a disciple, which is sanctification, which is becoming more like Jesus. So justification is being made right with Jesus. Sanctification is being made more like Jesus. And both of these things are absolutely key elements of the Christian life. What is mm-hmm. to be a disciple? Yet what has happened, and I think what this Christ of uh, cultural Christianity of non-discipleship is is showing us is that there's this gap that has emerged um, in how people understand those two things, their importance, the link between justification and sanctification, and that both are in play. Okay. So discipleship, following Jesus, is that combination of justification and sanctification, but how have we gotten these things wrong? Yes. Well, I think there's a couple of things. The, the, the first one is to look at this at the posture of the church, particularly in the last phase mm-hmm. um, of culture that we've been talking about. Um, so hold on, are you saying during the pandemic or pre-pandemic? Pre- previous, okay. previous. Um, so I think with the rise of secularism and post-Christianity, the church realised that it had to sort of change its you know, face front front of uh, store, if you like, to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you see particularly the contemporary church movement, which grows up. You know, um, you know after you know probably sort of you could look at say the nineteen fifties and sixties onwards, and sort of grows as you know a key part of the growing church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, desires to present the good news of Jesus in a culturally understandable way. Uh, I've talked about this in different places before. The idea that mission and the uh, science of missiology, which people learnt, um, you know, in two thirds context of if yes. I'm coming from England and I'm communicating to people in Fiji, um, what's the elements that I'm bringing, which are of the gospel, which are elements which are actually of my Englishness, yes. and yes. you know, what does an authentic discipleship look like in a Fijian context? Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing was brought back to the West. What are the elements that actually um, are cultural just add-ons that are not essential to the gospel, mm-hmm. to discipleship, and what are parts that, um, uh, you know, are essential. So what you saw is almost this missiological approach adopted in the West and people began to shape this form of contemporary Christianity. Now, one thing that happened is, is and I would use an analogy from politics to explain this, okay. is uh, in politics that you have uh, campaigning, 
in democratic societies, how do you gain government and how do you get into government? And then you have governing, which is actually taking your political platform and your policy platform and making that a reality and having the change occur in the society that you're leading that you want to see. Yes. So whether you're a right-wing government, a left-wing government, you have these certain policies that you want to bring in for families or for the economy or for education or whatever that may be, that this justice issue that you want to see happen, uh, you have to get into government, but then you've got to govern. Mm-hmm. And so the contemporary church, in some ways, we can see it that what it's been good at is campaigning. Now, campaigning is you have to sell people on your message. And with the rise of uh, mass media, we saw politics change and we saw campaigning change. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw television play this key role. There's the famous story of uh, Richard Nixon's uh, television debate with uh, John F. Kennedy and John F. Kennedy wore makeup and Nixon refused to wear makeup and he sort of looked sweaty and pasty and you know here was Nixon, this very sort of telegenic uh, uh, man who understood mm-hmm. uh, the power of mass media and Nixon who was sort of operating in the old mode um, and, you know, uh, JFK goes on to win the election. And we see that growing in, in not just what you look like, but sound bites. Yes. Um, big campaign events that are good for TV. Uh, you see that in even polling of the public, you know, if you've ever been rung up and asked your political opinion on things. And you have all this like huge machinery of people who actually help people get into government. And they're very, you know, slick and they're very good at what they do. There's a whole science around that. Mm-hmm. And there's a very key end to that as well. It's like you won the election. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, you know, in Australia, we're heading towards a federal election, you know, and uh, at this point in time, their goal is to get back into government or to get into government. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, I think that's that can describe the contemporary church. The contemporary church realized that it had a problem. In a sense, it was like Richard Nixon <laughs> and it had to put the makeup on like <laughs> JFK and be presentable and use, you know, the mass media that was at its disposal and, and you know, understand the public and how does it communicate. And hence, that's why we use the contemporary church because it's then relevant to the contemporary society. Mm-hmm. But something really interesting has happened is that there's a kind of politics now that you've seen in the last few years, which is about constant campaigning. Mm. So, for example, one of the comments made uh, currently, the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is in huge trouble after what has been known as Partygate, which was a whole series of parties that were thrown at uh, 10 Downing Street um, uh, uh, when actually there was lockdown orders for the rest yeah. of Britain. And, you know, there's been this huge debate within the Conservative Party in Britain of should they get rid of Boris Johnson? He's lost the you know, trust of a huge amount of the population and even part of his own MPs, part of yeah, his own yeah. party. Now, one of the arguments that has been currently being um, circulated within the Conservative Party in the UK is, yes, Boris Johnson, but a lot of them don't even like him, it sounds like. We don't even like him. Uh, What he did was wrong. He's shown no integrity. We're struggling in lots of things around governing, but he's a brilliant campaigner. So let's keep him on because we want to keep winning elections. Yeah, right. So good campaigner, not so great (laughs) at governing. Um, you notice too, even in the election of Donald Trump, that one thing was fascinating is that Donald Trump continued doing rallies. Rallies are actually a mechanism of campaigning. Yes. They're not a mechanism of, of governing, governing yeah. but he kept doing them. And so there's this sense where what politics has become as we've headed into more of a mass media age is continual campaigning. Um, but you have to govern at some point. Mm. And so I think the contemporary church has been good at campaigning. That is like winning. If, you, if what are votes in, in this analogy, votes are attendance. Yeah, are okay. people going to turn up? Is it, you know, you get bums on seats in the auditorium or at the event or the program that you're running. 
But what's governing then? Once you've got those people in the auditorium, once they're coming to a church program, once they're coming to you, what is the work of governing? Well, if we look at what our policy statements are as the gospel, as Jesus's message of mm -hmm. the kingdom, it's to go into all the world and make disciples. That actually people, therefore, once they have, you know, either perhaps they're transferring church, coming back to church, made a commitment for the first time, in a sense, let's call that in this analogy, uh, campaigning. Once they're in your church, are they then engaging in the work of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus? Yes. Going deeper, becoming, you know, more devoted in their faith, being transformed in their inner heart attitudes. Um, and I think one of the great crises that has also linked to the crisis of non-discipleship is this crisis that the church, the contemporary church has been really good at campaigning, but not governing. So when the pandemic comes along and you can't campaign in the way that you did, and people might argue and say, oh, digital church and so on. I think what people found though, after a while, it's hard to keep people watching because in a sense, you're not, yes. you're not competing with a Sunday habit. You're competing with the rest of Netflix, yes. um, that that actually, um, you know, there, there, people began to struggle. The other thing as well, you could argue then, well, we have also traditional churches, mainline churches, whatever you want to call them, who still have, you know, populations and there's still lots of people who, you know, go to mass and go to different, you know, more liturgical services that you mm -hmm. wouldn't call um, necessarily contemporary church. Um, but in a sense, what they have is they're, they're good there. They're good at campaigning people to stay. Yes. And, um, you know, in a sense, by doing that through continuing to run these habitual patterns of attendance. Mm -hmm. However, you know, when you spend time with um, people from those denominations, you, you begin to see what, they, what they're trying to struggle with is how do we turn those habitual patterns of attendance into habits that actually transform the heart? Yes. Um, so in some sense, you could see what, what they have is they've got a sort of like to use that continue with the sort of political analogy. There's safe seats like we talk about here in Australia. So, for example, there's certain seats which always vote left or always vote right, mm -hmm. um, but then can change very quickly. So, when the cultural scenario changes. So, for example, in Britain, um, there were seats which were Labor, like rusted on. They expected mm -hmm. them to turn up mm. and vote Labor because it was their habit and their grandfathers had, but they didn't in this election, you know, uh, because something was changing. And I think that's also what a lot of mainline churches are experiencing in this new gray zone reality yes. is that habits of the past are not going to work. So we're seeing a failure and, and very few churches are good at, to use the analogy, both campaigning and, and governing justification and sanctification. And what has happening, there's a growing gap between justification, sanctification, how it's lived out, a growing gap between belief and action has opened up in the church and the pandemic exposed that crack underneath the ground. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you, you started to talk about there, how it has affected the church. You talked a little bit about the habitual church, but are there other examples of how this um, this fracturing between justification and sanctification yeah. um, are manifesting in contemporary church? Yeah. So one is the habitual thing, which yeah. you know, I mentioned in terms of sort of mainline or, or traditional denominations, but it's also true in contemporary church. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who just go because they've always gone, their parents do, their families do, their friends do, and so yeah. on. So you get this idea that a lot of energy of church is based on working with people who keep turning up. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're just the sort of like, you know, habitual type people. Um, and we talked before about, you know, Barna's Connected Generation report, which showed that, you know, the majority of people, particularly in sort of evangelical churches in the US and, and many other countries, are actually just habitual Christians. Yes. Their beliefs and their actions do not match 
actually the policy platforms of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. to continue with the political analogy. Yes. So I think there's a sense too that that churches have realized that there is this, you know, this 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 gap is there. So we've tried to, in a sense, bridge that gap by continuing to use the tools of campaigning mm-hmm. uh, to convince people to live lives for Jesus. So we're selling the benefits and you have this sort of like what I call lifestyle church. So yeah, okay. what it is is here's how your life can get better um, and look a lot like what the culture is promising you but with a touch of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And another way to look at this is the space shuttle analogy. The space shuttle was this reusable space vehicle, but it needed a booster rocket to get into its orbit. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine the space shuttle is our life that we want to live, our mm-hmm. aspirational life mm-hmm. that we see, and these are the goals that 21st century consumer culture gives us. So we realize maybe we're not going to get into that orbit, our individual orbit ourselves. So we need faith to be a booster rocket that gets us into that orbit around the earth. But once we've got there, we can ditch that booster rocket. Yeah, okay. So it's sort of this implicit, unspoken sort of prosperity gospel, really. Um, And, you know, church then becomes about lifestyle. But again, pandemic comes, all of a sudden we move from sort of lifestyle stuff to survival stuff, you know, particularly in the early pandemic. Yeah. And that model begins to fall over. Yeah. The the sort of other model is almost what I'm, I'm calling our therapeutic church which is church which is set up to make you feel better. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. That's so nice. Um, and what I mean by that is there can be two forms of this. One, a church which is going to give you high – so event culture is big. Yes. So that big concert, that big yes. sporting event, yep. that big, you know, I want to holiday and so that massive, you know, natural park thing and got this sort of high from those experiences – so in a sense, we have that element. So come to church. It's going to give you as big a high the way we're setting it up as those things in the culture is. Yeah. Or you feel really bad. Come to church. We'll make you feel better. And there's a quote from an article which we've referenced before, but I just thought it was worth reading out. And it's mm. pretty, pretty, pretty packs a punch <laughs> um, by Stanley Harris, uh, the theologian in conversation with the other theologian, Will Willimon, who he's written with before. And he says this in the article. Speaking of what it's like to pastorally care for people when your church, whether you like it or not, has a framing over it of a therapeutic church to make people feel mm-hmm. better, says this. Pastoral care has become obsessed with the personal wounds of people in advanced industrial societies who have discovered that their lives lack meaning. And his response in <laughs> not a therapeutic sense is to say, <laughs> What did you expect? I want to ask these people. Quit taking yourself so seriously. Enjoy having your narcissism defeated by being drawn into the church's eschatological mission to witness Christ's cross and resurrection. And, you know, there's a lot of punches in that in that article, yeah. which we did send out, um, I think, last year in one of our subscriber emails. But I think that first line, that that church, therapeutic church, then becomes this place where it's sort of offering people so if the first if the if the space shuttle is offering um, the booster rocket to get you in your orbit, the therapeutic church is helping you when you, your orbit has crashed to the earth. Yeah, but and you being don't like it's okay. It's okay. We'll get you back into orbit. Versus, man, get out of your orbit and get into Jesus's orbit. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah, these models are creating this interconnected series of crises, which. You know, we're seeing believers when mm-hmm. in countries significant portions of the church walked away 
um, after not being able to meet in person. Yeah. Um, it's also causing crises for leaders Definitely. because, you know, if you're there to make people feel better in this environment of increasing emotional toxicity, um, you know, you're getting beat up. Um, and uh, you, it's really hard to, you know, continue to deliver that lifestyle, to continue to, you know, make those, you know, heal those wounds of people who's advanced, you know, discovered that they have lives don't have meaning. Um, and I would argue that this is also even causing crises for our wider society. Yeah, wow. Um, what What sort of crises do you mean? So I think some of the crises that this is spawning is there's a lot of talk about cultural Christianity. Yeah of people who continue to come to church because it's part of their cultural mix. Um, so, you know, that's one. You know, and look, you know, just I won't go through all of these in depth because I think we sort of are pretty – I think people listening, you know, these will resonate. You know, yes. the idea of trying to lead people who are rugged individualists, trying to lead people who are doing now individualist-driven do-it-yourself faith. Yes. Like that what you're saying, but I don't like that bit. And I'm going to construct this bit from what yes. I read on Google. Yeah. Um, you know, we see these returns to deconstructionism or hyper-religiosity, you know, in response to all of this. Mm. Um, you know, this battle that we're seeing currently between individuals and institutions. You know, people have asked us lots of times to speak into, you know, the rise of Christian nationalism. This is one of those reasons. Cultural Christianity, um, detached from discipleship, you know, will get sucked into ideologies like Christian nationalism. Mm. This is, you know, the culture wars. This is consumer Christianity. These are the crises um, which we're seeing bubbling up. Why? Because of the underlying crisis of non-discipleship. So, I mean, we're obviously at this point um, and we have talked about, you know, this, this cultural Christianity uh, falling apart for a long time, but how did we actually get here? Like yeah. if we were to trace back our steps, what led the church mm. here? Well, Dallas Willard had a, a, a theory um, that effectively what happened sort of after World War II in the American church, and I think it was exported to lots of other places, was that if you think about the evangelical church and, and a lot of those churches were born out of renewal reform movements yeah. and they saw mainline denominations where people um, were going habitually, which, you know, people were in traditions, but their hearts weren't changed. Mm. So it was this return to a heartfelt, a whole of heart devotion to Jesus um, and a sort of reconnection with the vision of the early church, the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom. But in the sort of, you know, beginning part of, or the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, you had the rise of liberal Christianity, which in a sense tried to wrestle Christianity to fit the emerging consensus of sort of, you know, the enlightenment and Western thought. And so, in reaction to that, they began to almost reconfigure, almost unintentionally, what it was to be a Christian was actually to not believe what the liberals believed, but to hold on to the evangelical distinctives of faith, to hold on to a few key doctrinal statements. Doctrinal statements, which I think are true and mm. really important. Mm -hmm. But what this did is it reduced faith, uh, Willard argues, to simply mental adherence to a core set of doctrinal statements, whether or not that changes your life. Yeah, okay. Um, and so what happened was this gap opened up between belief and obedience. So, you know, oh, I'm, I'm born again. I believe these five things. Is it changing my life? No. Mm. Um, but I believe them. Great. Tick, tick, tick the box. 
And so this was also happening in the second half of the 20th century. This is not a point made by Willard. This is me adding something. It's interesting that theory runs parallel on a parallel track to the emergence and intensification of radical individualism. Yeah, okay. Individualism was at play, but yeah. this increasing experiential individualism was only intensifying as every decade passed. So those two things, a gap between what you believe and what you live out, alongside in the culture, the emergence of expressive, radical, experiential individualism, I think lays the, the deep fractures underneath our foundations. So how, how do they play off one another, that ind individualism, that radical individualism and that crisis of non-discipleship? Mm. Well, individualism is ultimately about the autonomy and sovereignty of the self. Mm -hmm. Discipleship is actually about the sovereignty of the kingdom of God and the laying down of our personal autonomy at the foot of the cross. And what Willard noted was there was this thing in humans where he writes, I've got a quote here from his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. He says, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit ourselves to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. So, I can relate to that. <laughs> so, this is like, you know, if you put up a picture of someone and you said, this person is a triathlete or this person is fantastically healthy and they've shaved 20 years off their biological life. Um, is that, isn't that, you know, when you say like a biological- Added. Oh, added, no. added, sorry. Not just, yeah. <laughs> but added. You know, said, you know, this person is a triathlete and they only eat leafy greens and run, you know, 100 kilometers every day and, you know, just live off the dew of, of, of you know, plants that they- You're just talking about me, right? I am. <laughs> I, I just was, I was looking at you there. So this yeah, is, when, this I is was, when I was hearing that, I was like, oh, that's, that, that's, that's Daniel. Daniel. If you put that up and you say, is this a good thing? People would say, yes. Is this an aspirational life? Yes. Can you live it? No. 100 so, kilometres a day. Yeah, I do yeah. that before breakfast. Um, so in a sense we go, oh, that, that person's great. But are, what Willard said is, are then people willing to live their whole of life? So he says, people say, Jesus is great. Jesus is the greatest human who ever lived. Jesus was God in human form. Jesus acted incredibly. The second question then is, are you willing to live in the way that Jesus lived? Yes. And that's when there's sort of, you know, crickets. So thus what the contemporary Christian wants is the solace of belief, but minus the commitment of true full life conversion. Mm. And this, this is now a failing model in the new context we find ourselves in. You could get away, and we'll get into this more in the coming episodes in this yeah, series. Yeah. You could get it, not get away with it, but it was less acute seemingly or less obvious. But now in the new sort of reality we find ourselves in, um, this is becoming clear. And I think the pandemic really illuminated that. So can we see this as an opportunity for renewal? So we've called, we've called this series the uh, opening door to renewal. Correct. And we talked a lot about a crisis. Yeah. But if you're a long-term listener to this this podcast, you know, a big foundational belief of this, of, of what we're teaching here is Crisis is always an opportunity when it's renewed through mm -hmm. spiritual vision of, of, of um, that Jesus gives us. And so I actually think this is an opportunity for renewal. And Willard made a really interesting point. He said that essentially if you study all the revivals and awakenings, mm -hmm. often people think that what they are is a bunch of people who weren't Christians becoming Christians for the first time. Now, does that happen? Yes. But primarily where they start is actually people who are often believers, who are habitual believers, who are non-committed believers, who are people who perhaps have just been going through the 
the um, you know the motions or have a big gap between what they believe and what they act um, and actually them then giving the whole of their lives to Jesus saying mm. I want justification and I want sanctification um, I want Jesus but also want to become more like him mm. and so therefore Christ renewal is a rediscovery always of Christ-led discipleship this occurs at a personal level and then flows into the corporate due to the social nature of humans and so early revivalism was focused upon encouraging Christians towards holiness and the giving over of the whole of their lives to Christ. Now, salvation's followed, but they followed as a fruit of that yeah, because okay. people saw that and said, I want that. That's intangible. Yes. I can't even name it, but I'm magnetically drawn to that because that is almost not of this world. This is heaven coming to earth. And that's the, that's the early church, right? Yes. Like yeah. Jesus and his disciples experiencing his... Power, like yes. the yeah, the spirit coming down, and you see that in Jesus' ministry, where people were like almost want the like, oh, I like what you're saying, yeah, and then Jesus says, all right, this is what like this is mm, what it takes to follow, follow me, me. And yeah, like, oh, that's a bit, hard. yeah. <laughs> mm, <laughs> totally. But then you see the fruit of the disciples saying, yes, I'm going to follow you, and yes, thus begins the birth of the church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good. So we know that renewal helps wider mm. society. So this mm. renewal of discipleship and obedience, how are we going to see that? Because we believe mm. that it can happen, that God is um, leading us into that place as his church. What? How's that going to help wider society? The key thing to understand is that obedience is missional. Yeah, right. So in Deuteronomy, Moses in his his great sort of teaching to the people before they enter the promised land talks mm. about, you know, that you know, God wants to bless and be with his people um, when they obey. So yeah. when we obey, we match the pattern of heaven on the earth. When we obey, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven happens mm -hmm. because we're yes. living according to God's will. We're yes. in a sense incarnating his will in the earth. And so therefore, if you think about what, what are some of the charges against the church? There's always slander against the church. The church scripture tells us will come against opposition. Jesus said, you'll have people you know, persecute you. But also there's the genuine like, own goals that we score when the church doesn't live up to its kingdom mandate. Mm. And that's when we're not obedient. When the church has been an agent of injustice, when you know the church is acting violent, terrible, domineering ways, mm. or being an irrelevance, you know, a dusty irrelevance in the corner of some town somewhere with no good news, that actually that's when we're not obeying. That actually when we obey, mm. obeying is the linkage between heaven and earth. And yeah. the the spirit comes down. Um, to empower us to obey. Mm -hmm. So there's a really key distinction here. We can't see this and go, okay, well, okay, Mark, yep, you're right. There's a gap, man. We just got to try harder. The spirit comes when we obey. Um, but in a sense, what we need to do, therefore, is, is still there's that submission of saying, I still want to say yes. I want to say yes to that process of growth. Mm. And, you know, again, too, you know, we've talked about this at Red. This is one of our core things. One of the greatest gifts that you can give to others is to grow in Christ. Um, and if you think about what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, you know, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Mm. So when we obey and then when we teach others to obey, this is, this is the mission of God in the world. And so obedience incarnates God's word. The word emerges from heaven and through obedience in God's people is enfleshed and, in, and incarnated upon the earth. Obedience is the glue which binds heaven and earth. Mm. And just that last line, Jesus says after that too, 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the presence paradigm. So Jesus's presence is with us, but when we actually obey his word, we're also acting as his presence. We're that living yes. temple, which we've you know spoken about so often on this podcast. We are that, we we have Jesus's presence with us, but we also be the presence of Jesus for other people because yes. we're, we're, we're obeying his word. So this, this moment that we're in, how does it present an opportunity? Yeah. Well, what's good is I think like previously a lot of the cultural Christian models were reflective of what was happening in the wider society. Yeah. We believe we're sort of in this neutral space and, you know, you know freedom of religion, do what you want, have mm. your church over there and what's your competition? Well, it's what's the advertisements on TV and what yeah, secular yeah, yeah. culture offers you. And so we're going to show you, no, you can have a great time being a Christian as well. And I think people have seen the pressure coming against that. And I think, you know, in the last phase, people felt, well, you know, the culture's going to flip and become this sort of totalitarian thing against faith. I think where we're heading now is gray zone. Everything's falling down and gray zones are ultimately contested. And mm -hmm. so contest undermines previous models of cultural Christianity. But what's brilliant is contest also reveals what things really are. Yes. There is this moment of revelation, just as the pandemic revealed this huge chasm-like gap between what we believe and how we're living out the message of Jesus. I also think that contest also means we're back at almost the first century reality, you know, where there were these competing stories. There's not one story now, there's a bunch of competing stories, but we actually live out the one true story. Mm -hmm. And what is cut through is actually when that story is obeyed and live with the whole of our lives, that is the gospel which transforms people and a people transformed who give their whole lives over in a contested zone. That's actually like uh, early church stuff in, yeah, yeah. in all its excitement. That's that's fire that people can see uh, you know, atop our heads because there's something different about us. And so that's why, you know, the the ground is foggy, but in a gray zone, I think the skies are clear because we're seeing things more clearly with spiritual vision. That's great. That's really helpful, Mark. And I, as you were um, speaking, I feel like that's, if, if if nothing else, as as a leader in a church or whatever your context is, is to come back to the very simple call that Jesus has invited us to to follow mm. Him. That's mm. that's where you start to to combat all of these crises, is to follow mm. Jesus yeah, and 100%. be that example to the people that you're leading. Mm. Um, yeah. Great start. Yes, yes. Uh, do we want to give a little teaser of where we're yeah. headed next week? Well, I think that because Grey Zone is this contested space, mm -hmm. because it's foggy in the foreground, that can actually raise up in us fear and it can raise up this desire to react really quickly, to get ahead of the curve. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I want to, in a sense, let's begin to examine this moment. Let's mm -hmm. understand the dynamics at play in this contest contested space. And I want to reframe that and actually show that instead of fear, yeah, it's going to be hard, but with God, there's brilliant opportunities in the midst of it. So next week, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment, like, you know, things like, oh, you know, the metaverse is coming. What's that going to mean for the church? Uh, you know, do we then move church into the metaverse? We're, we're already making plans. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think Daniel but is. But do we though? <laughs> um, so I actually want to reframe that. I think what we need to realize is the grand note of this has changed. Yeah, this questions of, you know, do you do some virtual reality service? And there's people asking that, fair enough. But I think the question is not, 
you know, do we enter our church into the metaverse? The reality is your church is already in the metaverse, mate. Like <laughs> how do you actually understand how the ground has been changed and how do you use that change um, to advance the message of the kingdom? And actually the pressures and contesting that comes, I think it's going to help us in leading people into a deeper discipleship. So we're going to dig into that next week. Great. Love it. Looking forward to it. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We'll catch you next week. 